And uh, I just want to jump right into a message. I'm going to uh, talk to you about a man uh, in, named Jacob. You can find this in the 29th chapter of Genesis, the 49th chapter of Genesis. And I've taken out the, uh, the verse numbers. I'm just going to let you read this because it is a story and the numbers were not originally there. Did you know that? It was just written as a story. And so we're going to tell this to you as a story, but you can verify it's all there. And, uh, and, uh, and this story, I think, will be appropriate, certainly, for Father's Day. Uh, Amy and I are thinking about uh, having one more child. We have four, and I have, a, I have a, a grandson and another grandchild on the way. But after I realize you can win a gift card for having the youngest child, we're going to time it just right. We're going to have a one-day-old baby and come here and get my prize. Uh, but anyway, so, so with that said, I want to tell you a story. A guy named uh, uh, Jacob was having some family problems. On this Father's Day, anybody ever had a family problem? Have you know it's okay to be honest in church? Confession is good for the soul, but bad for the reputation, am I right? And, uh, and so he was having some uh, family problems. He hurt a few people and, and got a little uh, scared and was running uh, from his family. And, uh, and, and as Jacob is traveling, he comes across a scene, something that maybe you have never seen before. I've never seen it before, but I want to describe it to you. As he's, as he's on his journey running from his family, he sees this group of people around this, uh, this rock. It's really kind of an interesting scene. It was people and then sheep, and then in the middle of this group was a rock just kind of stuck in the ground. And, uh, and so he goes up to them, and he starts talking to them. What is it, what is it that you're doing? What is this? And they say, oh, well, you see this rock here uh, in the ground. Yeah, well, that's a boulder. And underneath that rock uh, is a water well. This is the source, the supply of water for our community and for our sheep. And so the reason they put the rock there is to keep that water pure. You know, so like a wild animal doesn't fall in and drown and then poison the water supplies. Does that make sense? And so it's like the saran wrap or the the Tupperware. That's kind of a thousand-year-old reference. But anyway, uh, of... It kept uh, the water supply uh, clean, and so they had this rock, and, well, why don't you just water your sheep now? Well, because it's a group effort. It's a, it's a heavy boulder, and so it takes, a, it takes a village. It takes a group to move this rock out of the way and water the sheep. And so they're talking about this, and while they're talking about it, Jacob sees something else up over the horizon. It kind of starts small, and as, as, this, as this comes closer, he begins to realize that he's seeing something different. Around the Rock had been a bunch of shepherds and sheep, and, and in the distance he saw some other sheep, but then he saw something a little bit different. Instead of a shepherd, he saw a shepherdess. How many of you know the difference between a shepherd and a shepherdess? Oh, man, and she must have been beautiful. And, and Jacob's brain shuts off. I don't know, guys, if you remember dads, if you remember the first time you saw a truly beautiful woman. Yeah, come on. I remember, how many of you remember the first time you ever saw a truly beautiful woman? Just turn to your wife and just say, it was you, babe, it was you, come on. First time I remember seeing a truly beautiful woman, I was in Lake Providence, Louisiana, a number of years ago, I was a teenager, and I was talking to a pastor, and his daughter, man, something about preacher's kids, whoo, beautiful, and, uh, and, and, and so I'm talking to the dad, trying to focus on the dad, but his beautiful daughter was sitting on this lazy boy recliner watching television, and all I could see at this point, I couldn't even see all of her. I could see the top of her beautiful, symmetrical, glorious head. I mean, that's all I could see. And, and, and I remember the, the, just recognizing that she's beautiful, and my brain shut off. And, and I was only able in my brain-damaged state to, to, to form one thought, and it was real simple. It was, must impress pretty girl. Anybody? 
And what I did next is the dumbest thing I've ever done in my life. Would you like to hear about it? Now, please trust me. There's a reason I'm telling you this story. It ties back into this story we're reading about in Genesis uh, 29, but there's a parallel there. And, and so anyway, as I see this beautiful girl watching TV, sitting in this lazy boy recliner. You guys know what I'm talking about when I say lazy boy recliner? Yeah. It's like compartments and stuff. You can hide stuff in there. It's, it plugs in now. You can plug your phone in. Anyway, so she's, she's watching TV in this big recliner. And in my brain damage day, I thought, I'm going to impress this girl. I'm going to take off running doo, 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 toward the back of this recliner. I'm going to put my hands on the back. I'm going to catapult over, like do a little flip and land in front of her and introduce myself. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> That's not exactly what happened. I'll say that again. That's not exactly what happened. What happened was I took off running. Doo, 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 doo. I got my hands to the back of the recliner. When I put my hands on the back of the recliner, it reclined. So instead of me like leaping up over, it just went straight back. Amy, this poor girl, had no idea that I was running up to her at full speed and until she realized that she was straight back like she was competing in the luge in the Olympics or something. And I fly over her like something from the Matrix. What I did not know, first of all, I didn't know that plan was going to fail so bad, but the other thing I didn't know was that she was holding a really heavy glass of water, one of those really thick tumbler glasses of water. And as that, as that glass was going this way, my forehead was coming this way, and bang! And so I fall on the other side. So I did clear the recliner. I did land on the other side in a heat, face down, and I am hurting. I'm humiliated. And this poor girl, she like sits back down, you know, and I'm on the ground, and my forehead is pulsing with every beat of my heart because I just had a, you know, this big glass hit my forehead. And then she does something. This beautiful girl does something. Guys, you never want a beautiful girl to do. <laughs> she, started, she started laughing at me. Oh, my God. It was horrible. <laughs> and I was so embarrassed I didn't even look up for a while. But finally, I was like, I got to look up. So I finally look up. And when she saw my face, I only thought it had been laughter. What, what, it became maniacal laughter. Ah! And she said, look at your face. And I got up and I just ran out. I said in the last service, like, you know, like the dance scene of Napoleon Dynamite when he's been. <laughs> I just said that, ran out. She saw something on my face, so I went to the bathroom and looked in the mirror. And to my horror, what I saw was, you know, that cup hit me in the, the open part of the cup hit me in the forehead. What had been stamped in my forehead was a swollen red, pulsing with every beat of my heart, perfectly centered, zero on my forehead. <laughs> I had a zero on my forehead. Now, as dumb as that is, I'm happy to report to you it worked. <laughs> 24 years of marriage later, four kids, second grandkid on the way. So I can relate to this story, and as Jacob sees this beautiful shepherdess, his brain shuts off. And he must think, must impress 
pretty girl. And he does something dumb. He goes up to that rock I was telling you about that the entire group was supposed to work together to move out of the way to water the sheep. He went up there by himself, and he picked up that rock. Hercules, Hercules, Rudy, Rudy. And he moved this boulder, probably destroyed his back. But just like in my case, it worked. In his case, it worked, too. And I know that because the next verse says, the very next thing that happened, you think that people today move too fast in relationships. Thousands of years ago, right after he shows up, shows off, the very next thing he does is Jacob kisses Rachel. Like, wait, what now? And was it a good kiss? It must have been a great kiss because the next part of the scripture right there says, after they kiss, and Jacob lifted up his voice and wept. Huh? That was a good kiss. Can you imagine? Now I want you to pay attention to the sequence and the rhythm. You really ought to read the Bible sometime. It is super fun. Think about what we've just experienced here. First of all, he goes to talk to some people. He sees a pretty girl. Oh, must impress girl. He shows off, immediately kisses her. It was so awesome that he starts crying. And then they introduce themselves and realize they're cousins. <laughs> Don't shoot the messenger. I'm just. <laughs> Times have changed. So then they go to Rachel's house and they meet, no kidding, they meet. Jacob's uncle, Laban, and then they kiss, but there's no, there's no crying, <laughs> nothing like that. But he ends up staying with his uncle Laban and their family and this beautiful woman, Rachel, for a month. The Bible says this, and he stayed with him for a month, and then Laban said to Jacob, because you are my relative, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me what shall your wages be? Well... Jacob knew exactly who he wanted. Now the story goes on and begins to create context. Now it says, now, now Laban, right, Jacob's uncle. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah. Everybody say Leah. Leah was the older sister. And the name of the younger was Rachel, the one we've already talked about, the beautiful shepherdess. Now the Bible, as it's presenting context and, and giving you a little backdrop for the story. There are two sisters, Leah's older, Rachel is younger. It begins in the scripture to compare and contrast their physical beauty. Now, we can't do that anymore and keep our jobs. But it's right here, so don't, don't be mad at me, guys. Here it is. It says, and Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful of form and face. I don't think you heard me. Let me try it again. And Leah's eyes were weak. But Rachel was beautiful of form and face. Try one more time. And Leah's eyes were weak. But Rachel was beautiful. Pastor Jonathan, what are you trying to say? I'm trying to say that God is kind. Kind of like my mom. You know, I was raised in the South, and my mom's the sweetest person ever, and she said to me, and probably some of you have heard this before, she said, Jonathan, if you can't say something nice, we're all family. We're cousins. 
That's right. And I believe God is kind. And I don't think you would ever want to say anything mean about a person. My point is, if the nicest thing that God can say about Leah is that she had weak eyes, then this means that she was, I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to say it. So Jacob looks at these two, the older one with weak eyes. Leah and the beautiful face, the beautiful body of Rachel. He says, I know exactly. You're asking me not to work for free. I'll tell you exactly what I want. I'll work for you for seven years if you will give me your younger, beautiful daughter, Rachel. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel. You want to know how badly he was in love? I mean, he was bitten, guys. It says, and they see, those seven years seemed to him but a few days. Because of his love for her. Come on, anybody relate to this? Woo! Man, you, you think the AC is off. There's another reason it's hot in here. <laughs> so Jacob served seven years for Rachel. They seemed but a few days because of his love. Seven years passed just like this, man. Jacob is in love. Seven years passed. He gets dressed. Now, look, I don't know how weddings worked thousands of years ago, but, I, you know, I went to one myself, and... And, uh, and, I, and I know he probably had his best outfit on, and he's, he's at the altar. He's whatever, you know, wherever they are, they have a ceremony of some kind. And then there's a woman who gets marched up, dun, 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 coming up. And, uh, and apparently this woman had a really thick veil over her face. <laughs> he worked seven years for the younger daughter, the beautiful one, Rachel. The beautiful face, the beautiful form, Rachel. They seem but a few days. It was his wedding day. He gets married to somebody whose face is covered. And then after they get married, they go to something called the marriage tent for a week. Honeymoon. It must have been really dark in that tent. Because Jacob, he spent the night with somebody he thought was Rachel. And then the next morning, the sun came up as, as it does. And I can, in my mind, you have to see this part. I love this. I can just imagine the sun coming up, begin to pierce through the stitching and the, and the seams in the tent and begin to illuminate that dark tent, that love nest. And I can just see uh, Jacob just waking up. I don't know how you guys are when you first wake up, but there are times when I first wake up, I'm not sure. Just for a moment, I'm not sure if I'm awake or asleep. Anybody relate to that? You know, it's like, huh. I can just see in my mind, Jacob in his bed, he's laying back, and he's like, oh. last night was amazing. I can't believe I get to be married to you. And to his horror, he realizes he is staring into a pair of weak eyes. And the Bible says it this way. Behold. Behold is Bible for oh, snap. Behold, it was Leah, the weak-eyed woman. He springs from his bed. He leaves the marriage tent. He runs to confront his 
now father-in-law, Laban. And he says, what is this that you have done to me? Was it not for Rachel that I served with you? Why have you deceived me? It's probably a good time to tell you why, why Jacob left his family seven years before. Jacob left his family seven years before because he was a deceiver. He deceived his family. Now, seven years later, he's so exercised, so angry, so strident about someone deceiving him. I found in my time as a Christian and as a, as a pastor that people who get really angry and judgmental about other people's sins are often guilty of the same sins themselves. What is this you have done to me? You have deceived me. I can't, I can't even imagine someone deceiving a family member. Except that's what he did all the time. But Laban says to him, it's not the practice in our place to marry off the younger before the firstborn. So if you can just complete the week. In other words, Jacob, if you can just get back in that tent <laughs> for six more days. Okay, just complete the week of this one. And we will give you the other also for the service which you shall serve with me for another seven years. He's like, look, if you can just get back in there for six more days. At the end of this week, the very next day, this time you can marry Rachel, and then, but you have to work for me another seven years. So Jacob agreed to that. And so he completed her week. And the Bible says that Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah. Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah. The first time I ever heard this story, I was a teenager. I was 16 years of age. I was at a summer camp. It's really funny because I was thinking this morning, it was a really hot environment. It was the summer. It was in a barn. It was like a real hot, sweaty church experience. So God just wants you guys to experience. What, and, uh, and my father made me wear long sleeves and long pants uh, to summer camp to cover up the bruises that he had uh, inflicted on me. He didn't want uh, anyone to see. So I was hot. I was the only kid wearing long sleeves and long pants. Everybody else had shorts and, you know, uh, short sleeve shirts, but it was hot. And the man who was preaching today is my father-in-law. At the time, he wasn't that. He was just a, a hero of mine in the ministry. And, and he's, we're all laughing, and he's talking about the strong Jacob who moved that boulder by himself. But I, as an abused kid, could not relate to the strong Jacob. And he's talking about the beautiful Rachel, beautiful face, beautiful form. And again, I, I didn't feel like that at all. I could not relate to someone who was attractive or wanted or loved. And, and in the middle of the story, I began to cry because I couldn't relate to Jacob. I couldn't relate to Rachel, but I could relate to Leah, a person who was unattractive, unloved, and unwanted. I began to cry. Imagine, just for a minute, I know we've been laughing, but just for a minute, what must it have been like for Leah to wake up that next morning, to be so scorned, to have to be back in that tent for another six days, to know that the very next day, Jacob was gonna marry the person he really loved, to be forced in an arranged marriage, she was unloved. So in that moment, at that summer camp, that hot July day, the man who's now my father-in-law read this scripture. He said, now the Lord saw that Leah was unloved. And then he said these words that have changed my life. 
He said, the eyes of the Father are always turned toward those who hurt. I don't know what pain you're facing. Maybe some of you dads, you don't have the best relationship with your sons, your daughters. Maybe some of you sons and daughters don't have the best relationship with your dad. Maybe you're dealing with pain. Maybe you're dealing with pain from your childhood like, like I have. But as a kid, I, that was such a liberating idea. That was an exhilarating, freeing idea that the eyes of the Father were turned to those who hurt. Because I had always thought, because in my pain, I, I thought God was a million miles away. I don't know, have you ever gone through a dark night of the soul and you just think, I'm in so much pain, God must be far away. But if I understand what this is saying on the authority of God's word, I can tell you that if you're experiencing pain, God's eyes, it's attracted to you. His heart is attracted to you. He moves closer to you. The eyes of the Father are turned toward you. This man continued to preach, and I'm continuing to preach to you. Now the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, so he opened her womb. Rachel was not able to have children, but Leah, God gave her a grace to be able to have children. Now what we're going to see now happened over a period of years. You're going to see a process of, of conception, pregnancy, delivery, and naming a child over and over and over. And I want you to see the state of mind because these names have meaning, and the Bible says it very cle uh, clearly. So Leah did conceive. She bore a son. She named him Reuben. Everybody say Reuben. For she said, because the Lord has seen my affliction, surely now my husband will love me. Isn't that heartbreaking? But nothing changed. That, that would have been at least nine months and then the time after recovery and then another conception. Then she conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am unloved he has therefore given me this son also, and she named him Simeon. Everybody say Simeon. Reuben, Simeon. You guys recognizing, recognizing these names yet? She conceived again and bore a son. You guys see, this is a process of years. Some of our pain lasts for years. She said, now this time my husband will become attached to me. It's like, maybe he won't love me. Maybe he won't be attracted to me, but at least maybe after I've given him children, he could be attached to me, appreciate my value. Because I've borne him three sons, therefore he was named Levi. Reuben, Simeon, Levi. This process went on for years, and apparently nothing changed. But then she conceived a fourth time. Please hear me today. Before she was saying, surely now my husband will love me. God has seen my affliction. God has heard that I am unloved. Maybe my husband will become attached to me, but nothing changed. But something changed with child number four because this time she, she conceived again and bore a son. And she said, this time I will praise the Lord. This time I will praise the Lord. I don't know if that jerk will ever love me, but God loves me. I don't know if that jerk will ever accept me, but I am accepted. I don't have to fight for approval. I can live from a place of approval. This time I will praise the Lord. And therefore, she named this little baby Judah, which means praise. And then she stopped bearing children. 
You know, early, whenever I was a teenager, I heard this message. It was like when she got it, when she started praising God, everything changed for her. But actually, when I carefully read this, I realized it wasn't just when she started praising God and praying. She had been a very faithful spiritual person. She had been talking to God the whole time. It wasn't until she let her praise mark the identity of another person that the miracle took place. It wasn't just that she praised God. She let that praise mark and name that little baby named praise. Look at me. I don't know what you're going through, but you have an opportunity today to let the grace that God has poured out on you be spent on someone else. Because when God gives you and me something, when God gives you and me mercy, when God gives you and me resources, whenever God gives us anything, all he asks is that we give it away. This time I will praise the Lord. You know, you read the New Testament. This is all in the Old Testament, but you read the New Testament and you find a man named Jesus, the Messiah. Jesus, called by many names. King of kings, Lord of lords, rose of Sharon, bright and morning star. Right? Emmanuel, that's my favorite one. God with us. But one of the names of Jesus, guys, when I hear a baby cry, I just hear the sound of our future here at the well. Come on, that's good. So if you're giving a mom a stink eye for having a crying baby, you're a jerk. <laughs> that's all I have to say about that. I should get back to my notes. <laughs> one of the names of Jesus is the Lion of the tribe of Judah. I want you to think about that. That little baby who now we worship. It's great, 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 great. Bunch of greats. Grandfather was a little baby who was marked by this woman's revelation of her praise for God. You know what I take from that? That when you and I, in our pain, instead of constantly focused on our pain, constantly focusing on getting people to like us, we'll just say, God, you've given me so much, I'm gonna spend it on somebody else now. Jesus Christ will be revealed. Whenever I see the team working, the media team, the people that are taking world-class care of our kids, the worship team, so many people that are spending the grace that God gave them. You know what I see? I see people that maybe have pain in their life, but God's making them beautiful. In fact, I can show you that something happened that beautified Leah. She was unattractive. She was unwanted. She was unloved. But if you jump to Genesis chapter 49, 20 chapters later, you see the end of this story. Jacob, who had been in love with the beautiful Rachel and had kind of just tolerated Leah because she could give him sons. Time, many, many years passed, and Jacob gets old, and he is about to die. And he starts giving his kind of last will and testament to his family. You see this in Genesis 49. It says this, And he, Jacob, charged them and said to them, I am to be gathered unto my people. So I'm about to leave this world. I'm gathered unto my people. So bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, which is before Mamre in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought at the field of Ephron the Hittite for a possession of a burying place. All that means is, hey, there's a family there's a family cave where we're all gonna be buried. You guys ever heard God be called the, the God of Abraham, 
Isaac, and Jacob. It's powerful, isn't it? That God is the God of the generations. Well, look what he says here. Okay, I want to be buried in this cave. He says, there they buried Abraham and his wife Sarah. There they buried Isaac and his wife Rebekah. And there I buried Leah. Leah. Just a few years before, she'd been unloved, unattractive, unwanted. But now, just a few years later, of letting her, the grace on her life touch the lives of other people, something happened, and she took first place, and she was buried in the place of honor. I'm telling you, when you let the grace that God's poured out on you spill out on the people around you, God will make you beautiful. God will make you attractive. I always wondered, I know Billy Graham passed away a number of years ago, but I, I always wondered, like, how did he just, I mean, he's kind of a plain guy. How did he just step into a stadium and attract tens of thousands of people? It's because he was letting the grace on his life touch people around him, and he became attractive, attractional. When you and I serve on a team, when we give, when we forgive, when we do something that allows the grace to touch another person's life, Jesus is revealed and God makes you beautiful. Amen. My prayer for you is no matter what pain you're going through, some of you are very closely connected to the pastor and his family and the, and the grieving they're going through. Some of you, maybe you're unaware that that happened until this announcement today, and, but you have your own situation that you're going through. Whatever it is, I wanna challenge you. Take up Take up a, a post, take up a position and say, you know what, I'm gonna take a stand. I'm gonna serve, I'm gonna give, I'm gonna build, I'm gonna let the grace on my life touch the lives of others. Amen? That's my prayer for you. you guys glad you came to church today? All right, good.